Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. In this week's episode, we're really going Inside Intercom as we're sharing some of our favourite stories and insights from an event we recently held for staff. At Intercom, we have a number of internal communities that employees can join, whether to get support, share experiences or to ally with their colleagues. One such group is Interwomen, and last week we held the first in a series of events where the Interwomen team will invite a variety of speakers, both internal and special external guests, to join in conversations about a range of topics. For our inaugural event, we were joined by Intercom's own CEO, Karen Peacock, and our CRO, Leandra Fishman, to chat on the topic of leadership. It was such an interesting and insightful discussion that we wanted to share some of the highlights with you, our podcast audience. We kicked off proceedings by asking Karen and Leandra to share their leadership journeys. Not just their career, we really wanted to hear what their leadership values are and how they got to where they are today. Here's Karen first. So I'm not going to go through like a typical resume, but thought it'd be maybe a little more helpful or interesting in this context to to share a little bit more um, around what Dee was talking about. So in college, I studied um, math and computer science and engineering. Um, And at that time, and maybe still now, there was no talk about leadership. Like that was, that was not at all on the curriculum. And so I graduated from college with like, excellent skills around like math and computer science and engineering and able to solve lots of problems and um, certainly no kind of formal training on uh, the leadership side. I worked always over the summers and uh, I worked my way through college to help pay for that, uh, but always as an individual contributor. And my first job out of college was with the Boston Consulting Group, BCG, as an individual contributor as well. And I became just an excellent individual contributor. I could do my work very well. And when I first became a manager, I realized very quickly that that was a totally different job. And I had no training or preparation for that. And I wasn't very good at it because I tried to do exactly the same things. I just tried to help other people like solve their problem very well. And I was focused on like right or wrong answers versus like, hey, here's where where we're going. And I thought it was all about the work. And yes, the work was one piece of it, but it certainly wasn't all about that. I went to the Boston Consulting Group for a few years, and then I went to business school at Stanford for a few years. I learned a lot more about leadership there because that actually was like a part of the the formal conversation. It was super eye-opening for me, given my background. And then a few years later, joined a startup. I led product management and some marketing, um, ended up getting promoted to be reporting into the CEO, which completely broadened my perspective about what was important because I was thinking all of a sudden about all different functions and I was on an executive team and and it was just a very, very different world for me. A few years after uh, doing that, I joined Intuit and that was just an amazing place for me for many reasons, including from a leadership perspective. And one of the things that we always talked about and invested deeply in was being a leader in developing leaders. I probably know about 20 different people um, from Intuit who are now CEOs of different companies, Headspace, LegalZoom, a whole bunch of other companies. And at the time, I took what all of my friends told me was a bad move (laughs) and a a real step back because I had been like leading product management and reporting into the CEO. And I became a senior product manager with nobody reporting into me. And it was like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, no, 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 I believe in this company and the vision and the mission and what we're doing. And it's a company that invests in people. And so I uh, took that leap and over the years ended up taking on more and more responsibility there and just learned most of what I've learned about leadership there. Learned that it is about 
the people and vision and purpose and work in that order, not work, work, work. And that it's much more fun and rewarding for me rather than just doing the work to actually lead people and lead teams. And one of the things that I get most excited and inspired by is when folks on my team do amazing things, things are so much better than what I had thought of or imagined. And so over the years, I I spent more and more time on things like vision and purpose and strategy and, you know, getting all arrows pointed in the same direction and really just ended up realizing that life was about so much more than just getting the answer right. And it really is about where are you going? Why does that matter? Why is that exciting? Where does everybody else want to go? How can you best inspire and empower the the people around you? So that's a a little bit about uh, uh, my career from a leadership perspective. But Leandra, I would love if you would share uh, some of your, your leadership background. Yes, thank you so much, Karen. It's I love hearing your journey because in many ways it's similar and, and started out actually quite different. So I have never had a plan for my career in my whole life. <laughs> I actually don't have a college degree and I wasn't uh, brought with the upbringing of education and I didn't have any guidance in that area. And so when I finally just you know made it through school and started working, I started stumbled into a sales uh, organization and, and was at the bottom of, of kind of the rung. And I, I thought after a year, I really wanted to start moving up. And the leader at that organization asked me if I had a college degree. And I said, I didn't. And he said, you'll never be successful without a college degree. And that was a shocker for me because I didn't I didn't hear that language uh, growing up and that wasn't a part of kind of my scope. And I actually believed it. I thought, oh, wow, I'm not going to be successful. And then maybe I'm recognizing that if that's a requirement and then people if I don't have that, people aren't going to think I'm actually very smart. And so I spent my career just like, okay, never with a plan, because I already thought that I wasn't going to be able to accomplish a lot in a way. But I realized one in a sales organization, everyone only cares about the number. Uh, And I actually am quite good at math too. And so I really loved the number, but I also recognize that in sales, it's all about building relationships and solving problems. And so I just kept my head down like, well, okay, I'm not going to be successful, but I know I can control three things. One is my attitude. Second is my effort. And three is my intention. And so from that point, I've always kind of had, you know, that optimistic can do attitude. And I'm a really, really hard worker. And I take a lot of responsibility in my intention of of serving and solving problems. And so for the first 10 years, of my career, I just really slowly moved up the ladder, never because it was a plan, but just because I would keep my head down, work really hard, master my job, kind of look up and look for the next thing, then go that next thing. So I was an individual contributor for 10 years. And my opportunity to get into management uh, came when I was 28 years old at a startup company, and they were ready to hire, uh, you know, kind of that, that first blind leader and they, I, I said to them, I would love to maybe apply for this role. And my VP said, oh, but you're too young and you don't have any experience. And we're going to look for somebody that looks like this giant, you know, job description. And I thought, oh yeah, I'm definitely not all those things. In the meantime, why don't you go find that person? Cause they're going to, they look amazing. And what can I do to help? It was never about the title. It was never about the money. It was never about anything other than wanting to be in service. And so I started just helping, right? And six months later, they didn't find the perfect person and realized I wasn't doing such a bad job and gave me that opportunity. And I think my leadership style really developed out of that because I was managing people that were twice my age um, with years and years more of experience. And I thought, what am I going to be able to teach them? The first thing that I've always done for everything is I go buy a book. 
I'm an avid learner and reader and everything I have is self-taught. I've actually never taken any formal sales training. I've just taught myself and leadership training. I've taught myself all along. And so I recognized that these people that had all this experience, you know, what was I going to do to tell them or teach them what I could do was be in service. So all my first thing is like, what can I do to help? How can I solve problems? How can I remove obstacles? And so my leadership is really of servant leadership, knowing that if I can help empower the people that are going through the day-to-day challenges and really have that best intention of solving customer problems, doing the right thing for the company, that we'll all elevate through that. One thing that struck me in hearing both Karen and Leandra's stories was that although their leadership journeys had been very different, they really seemed to be grounded in a shared sense of purpose and values. Leandra's point about servant leadership mirrors Karen's impulse to inspire and empower through leadership. But we wanted to know what leadership as a concept in and of itself means to each of them. Here's Leandra again. Yeah, you know, it's really something I think you have to first go within to understand your core values, uh, what's important to you, because I always recommend that people are really true to themselves. And so for me, leadership was really developed by one watching you know, other examples of people in organizations that I work for and kind of saying, oh, I really like that about that person or like it about this style, but also knowing like, what is my core strength? And so leadership for me, as I mentioned, really around solving problems, I always was focused on kind of what's the biggest, most important thing to me, which was the customer. And so developing my leadership style around kind of that focus on doing the right thing for the customer. And when we do the right thing for the customer, Also, that just starts to trickle down and really focusing on leading by example of having my mentality be about the right thing for the customer, right thing for the company, right thing for the team members. And then my success comes out of that. And so I had to switch that mentality, though, getting into leadership, thinking that one, I could control it because you are so much more than the collective all than the one. And then also really shifting my perspective to know that it is greater when we all can come together as one and achieve so much more. And noting that I had to move from that individual contributor mentality to a leadership mentality to then connect it to that greater good. I think when we can really just lead by example of our own morals and values of, you know, integrity and authenticity and, you know, hard work and strong, um, you know, kind of work ethic and desire. And you can channel that into the right ways. Everything from a leadership perspective, you know, elevates. I think you don't have to be a manager to be a leader and being a manager does not make you a leader. So those two things are actually very, very different concepts and people all the time kind of mix them together. To me, being a leader is about having a like a clear vision and purpose. And that can be about um, serving others. It can be about delivering huge value to customers. So having that kind of like vision and purpose, having a set of values that people can count on you for, count on you in the good times, count on you in the bad times, clear accountability along the way. And so kind of just having a clear set of like what you and your team are about. And that could be like your team of peers, like what you're about, why, why does that matter? Like let's the, the reason behind that and how are you going after that? And along the way, caring about other people, helping them achieve their goals and their dreams. I have never met someone I would consider a leader who doesn't care about others. So that to me is like a, a necessary step. Like you have to care about other people. I'm a big believer in the concept of servant leadership and leaders working for their teams as well. And ultimately inspiring people to come together and work together to achieve a shared vision, like that kind of arrows, like where are we going? What can we do together that we could not 
individually do. There's often an instinct when one interviews a woman in a leadership role to talk about female leadership as though it's a concept somewhat aside to just leadership. It makes sense on one level, and certainly did in the context of this conversation, but we wanted to know how Karen and Leander felt about this. Did they prefer to be identified as one over the other, or does it depend on the context? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question, and labels are always, uh, I have such mixed feelings about labels in general. I think at a high level, like, I prefer to just be me. I'm lots of things. Each of you are lots of different things. Yes, I'm a leader. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, um, I'm a friend. We have like so many dimensions to all of ourselves. And I think it is best when we can all be our whole selves. And there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. And I think trying to be real about that. And that's part of actually what I love about today is that it, it is so real and, and all about kind of our, our whole selves. There's a lot of stories in the press about like women CEOs. And I always kind of pause in terms of like, hmm, what am I going to think about this one? And my general take is I am great with stories about women CEOs when they serve the purpose to inspire other people. Just like we were saying at the beginning, if they serve the purpose to make somebody else think, yes, I can do that. Terrific. I'm all for those kind of stories. Um, when they serve the purpose of dividing the world and saying, you know, taking down people or any kind of like negativity and division, then I'm not for that. I absolutely agree with what with what Karen said. I sometimes forget that I'm a female executive because I am just myself. And I think that what we all have is threads together, as, as Karen mentioned, is many different ways that we describe or label ourselves. But in essence, the one thing that we have that is equal is that we're all human. And so to me, bringing your best self, whether that's in any category that you put it in, uh, I want to be a part of that. And I think of that everyone in an equal way and agree with Karen. Sometimes I've shied away a little bit about kind of being all female because there can be uh, a tone to it that feels like it's, it is dividing. And to me, it's just like, how can we all be our best and noting that obviously we've got, we've got different uh, gender preferences and, and, and bodies, but that's okay too. We can all be equal. Throughout our conversation on the day, we were inviting live questions from the audience. One such question was about diversity. Most organisations nowadays will talk about diversity being important, but ultimately they know that it leads to better business outcomes. On the one hand, organisations understand that fostering diversity offers different perspective, better results and better outcomes, which is great. But diversity is also important because it's about equality, it's about equity and it's about righting historical wrongs. So, can we embrace diversity because it matters and not because it helps business? And what do we do to avoid doing so in a tokenistic way? Here's Karen first. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Jess. And um, as we were starting to kind of craft some of our statements around diversity, equity, inclusion, I, I really struggled with the what's the why? Is it because diverse teams are more effective and more profitable. Like to me, that's actually not the main why. The main why is because it's just the right thing to do. Like the world is a better place when everybody can be their best and whatever that means for them in, you know, that particular day in that particular year. Like that's the thing that I feel most strongly about is each of us should be able to like be all the things that we want to be. However we identify, however we want to show up, whatever we've been counted out in the past. So to me, that's the that's the key why behind it. And then it's 
a hard area to act well in without doing a lot of like tokenism. So I'm always trying to balance the like, how do you, how do you make a real change? How do you like truly and genuinely embrace this without trying to just like do token counting and quotas on things, but while actually driving change. So that's, that's some of the things that are on my mind. We've been working a lot with the people team and we'll be sharing more on um, some of the things that we've got coming up soon. Some organizations that we'll be partnering with to help develop people both in the community as well as at Intercom? No, I just completely agree. I mean, my perspective is that it's great when you bring different cultures, people, backgrounds together because you get a whole different level of, you know, brainstorming thoughts, opportunities, experiences, and the diversity actually does make us better. You know, I'm a huge reader. You'll know, always hear about the books that I'm reading, but one of the big, uh, you know, kind of my aha books last year that I recommend to everyone is um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Uh, it was just a real eye-opening uh, book for me. I've never, you know, considered myself by any means uh, racist, but recognizing there is a difference when Karen mentioned you're actually fighting for the inequality, not just being passive and saying, oh, well, that's not me. But actually, if we don't help unite the people that are of the minority and you are the majority, that we're never going to be able to achieve that greatness of equality. And so I completely agree with Karen. It's not just about the numbers or about kind of the token effort. It's really about what's behind it and the intention that we are all going to rise together. Given that Karen had hosted a brilliant panel on allyship for the podcast last year, I was really curious at this point to hear her thoughts on intersectionality. We do know that women in business have traditionally had to fight harder than their male counterpoints, but does this mean that they have a unique perspective that helps them ally others better? Yeah, yeah, happy to to chat about this. And this is actually another topic that Leandra and I had not talked about, which is favorite books. And my favorite book that I read last year was How to Be an Anti-Racist. It just changed the way I was thinking about things and felt, I think some of you have heard me talk about that before. What I thought I was doing right, I realized was was not was not enough. Was too much of an endorsement of the status quo, and realized that you need to be actively working to be anti-racist. Otherwise, you are perpetuating the status quo, and you are ending up um, being a racist. Um, you know, even when you even when I didn't realize it, so it was a, a huge aha of a book, which I'm still kind of processing and figuring out like different ways that I can. I can work on that. So in terms of uh, women and allyship, and I would actually extend this to anybody um, for whatever reason, whether it's for gender identification, for race, or for any other reason who has felt counted out um, or ignored or underestimated at some time, which is probably most people. I think you can use how you felt at that time as a way to tap into your own empathy. How did that make you feel? Was that fair? Was that a way to have the kind of world you want to live in? Um, Do you want the world to be more like that or less like that? And now imagine you were facing that every single day in every way times, I don't know, times 100, times a huge amount. What would that be like? I think you can use those feelings to to channel your energy to be a better ally. Um, But I'd also say, you know, make sure that along the way it doesn't become about you. about your personal hardship, about you wanting to feel better about yourself. Um, This isn't about you earning a gold star. Um, And make sure you also don't put the burden on other people. Like, oh, like, tell me all of your troubles. Like, well, 
educate yourself, <laughs> do, do some work on your own. Um, and again, like the training that we did um, here on allyship, I thought was terrific. I'm looking forward to some of the new ones um, on how we can each do our best in terms of uh, being allies. Our interwomen events are open to everyone. So it was really nice on the day that one of our male colleagues asked a question at this point about what men can do on an individual level to support their peers and women in the workplace more. What should men be advocating for? Here's Karen first. Thank you for asking, George. I think that's a great question. I, I can start with two ideas and, and Leandra, you can share as well. Um, so I think one thing is making sure that everybody has a voice at the table. And oftentimes in any room that you're in, whether it's virtual or in person, there are some people who um, take up a lot more airtime than others. And so whoever is getting less airtime, for whatever reason, I think it's as an ally, you can try to give those folks openings and ask like, hey, Leandra, what do you think? Or, you know, hey, uh, George, what do you think? Um, and that's not just just for women or, or however you identify, but I think giving openings for others, making sure that you're not putting people on a spot where they're like, oh, like this is actually worse and making me more uncomfortable, but uh, making space for others, I think is a big one. I'll also tell you a story of one of my favorite moments of allyship that someone did for me personally was when my kids were one and three. So um, my son, Jack, is now 16. My daughter, Katie, is now 14. But when they were really young, it was just, it's hard being, doing all the things that I wanted to do. Of I was a um, director of product management at the time, and I was trying to like lead my team and we were fighting off Microsoft. And I also had a one-year-old and three-year-old who I loved deeply and a husband who like worked intensely and traveled all the time. And I was just trying to figure out how to do it all. And I got to a point where I just felt like I was way out of balance. And so I talked to my manager and I said, and I first talked to myself and I was like, what is it that I really need? Like, it's not that I want to quit and be like full-time not working. Like I really like working and I really love my kids and what, and so I tried to like, just make it really specific. And I was like, what I really want to do is I just want to be able to like, take my son to music class. I want to take my daughter to the park. Like, and, and I was like, let me just write down the specific things that I actually want and see whether I can just make those happen. And I went and talked to my manager and I was like, look, I would really, I'm, this is what's going on in my life. I really want to be able to like, go to this music class at like four o'clock on Tuesday and be able to like, bring my kids to the park for a couple of hours at some point during the week. And I know that's going to be really hard. And he just looked at me and he's just like, great, just do it. And then a, a couple of years later, when I was moving to a different job and, and I was like, you know, apologizing upfront to the person that I was going to be reporting into of like, Hey, is it, is it okay? Like, I really want to do this thing. And this is really important to me. And I was just in this like total backseat apologetic mode about the whole thing. And he was like, mm, I'm not, I'm not sure. He's a really good guy, but he just, wasn't really sure what was going on. And so I went back and talked to my, the first manager that originally said like, of course, just do it. And that manager, his name is Dan. And he's still a friend of mine today, uh, probably because of this. He said, you tell anybody who has any problem with you doing that, tell them to talk to me. And I was like, yes. And forevermore, I will love him. So just finding like spots where you can help support people, especially like I was clearly really kind of like raw about the whole thing. And so it was like clearly something that really mattered to me. And he was absolutely there for me. 
I think that's the first step and agreed with Karen, you know, just making sure that we're really including everyone and in their voices and knowing that sometimes people can be a little bit more quiet um, and encouraging that open communication, I think goes a long way. I would also say in, in a hiring perspective, especially as if you're hiring people or you're looking around to your team, really just encouraging that opportunity that we're looking at all different types of you know, candidates to come in and we're trying to find a balance. You know, we are in the U.S. 50 percent, you know, male and female. So I always try and make sure we're having that representation in all aspects of our lives, especially at work. Our next audience question called back to something Leandra had said earlier, that she has navigated her career by asking, how can I help? So how does someone balance that positive and empathic instinct with the genuine need to advocate for themselves? It's probably a conundrum that could apply to anyone in a minority position. Here's what Leandra said. It's such a great question and it is a hard balance. I think I would say I'm still learning to do so. I think I get better at it as I get older when I get, you know, kind of a stronger sense of self. But I think it's really knowing kind of what's important to you and understanding your boundaries and being able to communicate in that way where it's, you know, really focusing on kind of the what's important at the different levels, whether it is that customer level, the company level, the team level, or the self level, and then being able to make sure that you're really listening to yourself in that way that you know when you feel like, is this a boundary I need to put up or is this a boundary I need to take down, right? How do I advocate in a way that know that it's really coming from the intention, as Karen, I think, mentioned, and, and being authentic and genuine to saying, hey, this is real for me. And not making a big, you know, kind of thing about it or not going about it being defensive or not. She didn't go into it already assuming the answer was no, but just communicating and sharing where this is my situation and, you know, having people allowed then to serve her in a way that was supporting in her highest good. And so I think advocacy first has to come from the self and knowing what your own boundaries and your important priorities are and having the courage to share that out, which is not easy for a lot of people that I think can be like, it's hard to ask for help or I can do it myself. I think that's one of the you know type of mentalities I've always had very independent. And so time, sometimes the hardest thing you can do to advocate for yourself is to ask for help. We finished up our event with a brilliant story from Karen in response to an excellent question. Was there a challenge she had faced as a woman in leadership or on her way there that she thought was unfair but was able to overcome. So in the spirit of the, like being counted out, one one challenge that I felt like I had a number of times was not being considered, not being in the consideration set when a new opportunity came up and like hearing about a promotion, like once it's actually happened for something that I actually wanted. And, and here's a good example of that. So when I was at um, Intuit, I had been the VP of product for a particular area and the VP of marketing for a particular area and like big businesses, great jobs. And the next thing I really wanted to do was be a general manager for a lot of different reasons. And I told people like, I want to be a general manager, put my hat in a ring for a GM job that came up. I didn't get it, but I got a lot of positive feedback of like, good for you to put your hat in the ring. You're on the right track. Here are the areas to work on. And so, you know, I felt a little like bruised by not getting it, but I was like, yep, I did the right thing. Like you got to put yourself out there and then not feel bummed when something doesn't happen in the first round. Like to me, no only means no for now. And so just get used to asking for things and then you know, it won't happen immediately necessarily, but over time things will. And in that particular case, I didn't get that first GM job. And about six months later, I get this email announcing two other promotions to general manager of two other peers of mine 
And I was like, what the hell? I wasn't, I didn't even know those were jobs open. Nobody talked to me about that. I didn't have the chance to pitch myself. And it just felt like, I mean, I don't mind losing a fair fight, but if I'm not even invited, like that just feels feels wrong. And so I was really pissed off. And after I kind of cooled down a little bit, I was like, I could either quit or I could like keep going for it. I was like, I'm going to keep going for it. And so I went and talked to um, a number of different folks who were the, like the top two or three people at the company who would be the only people making decisions on that in the future. And I said, you know, I'd like to be a general manager for all these reasons. Here's why I think I'm ready. And I want to be your next general manager. So the next time there's one of these jobs open, I want to be your first phone call. And the two folks that I talked to looked at me and smiled and they're like, okay, you were very clear. And I'm like, great. And uh, probably about six months later, I got that call and I became uh, the general manager of the Intuit Employee Solutions Group, which was a billion dollar business, billion dollars in revenue. And it was amazing. It was everything that I wanted. And furthermore, the next level up from that was SVP of all of the people that were promoted to general manager, the job that I didn't get and the two jobs that I didn't even get a chance to, to go for. And me, I was actually the first person promoted to SVP out of that. So stay in the room, work your way in, don't give up. No only means no for now. And um, good things can happen to you over time. No only means no for now is certainly a mantra I'll be taking into my future. And it made for a great end to a really interesting discussion. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Karen and Leandra. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Scale for You, with a new look and a new sound for 2021. We hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.